Welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Today on our podcast, Pastor Ben and myself continue our conversation on The Row, which is our large group gathering, and more specifically, our worship services. If you could do me a big favor, make sure you go onto iTunes and give us a rating, a positive rating and a positive review, and that actually helps our listenership, and that helps us connect with more people to hear the gospel of the Lord. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. Pastor Ben, and before we get started, we're going to review where we've been, because it's been a few weeks now since we've had our last conversation about talking through our, our worship service. So, so far, we've talked about the, the beginning elements of worship. We've talked about why we worship, why we, why we gather together. We talked about confession and forgiveness. And now we, then we moved on to talking about the public reading of Scripture. And that's what we spent most of our time on last time, was reading the Bible out loud, why we do that, and how we do that here at New Life. And so for, for us here at New Life, the, the public reading of Scripture, actually reading from the Bible large portions of Scripture to the congregation, is then followed by a sermon. So today we're going to talk about the sermon. Um, so talk to us about why, after the, the reading of the Word, why do we have this kind of lecture-like experience? right after the reading of the Word. Well, this is something that's been going on for most of the history, but we even see we even see in Christ, he does this, right? So he, he uh, shows up at the synagogue, he reads the reading, and then he explains it. And so the reality is, we all have different gifts and abilities, and we see in the Bible that some people's gifts are directly correlated to teaching. And so they have an inherent ability to look at a passage of Scripture a passage of Scripture that offers something to every one of us, but they have a way of understanding it and applying it that really helps to move the congregation forward. And so really what we're doing is we're doing two things. We're, we're taking the Bible at its word, that we all have gifts and abilities, which we all know. And so we put people with those gifts and abilities in that place to use them for the benefit of the community, for building each other up, is what the Bible says. But we also follow it in the pattern of religious practice and Christ practice, that he would do things like that. He would say things like, you've heard it was said, and then he would actually quote a passage of Scripture, and then he would give it clarity. And we see this all throughout all throughout religious practice, and that's why it's not even a question anymore. I mean, this is what you expect. If you go into a church service, you expect a sermon, because this has been the practice for so long, it seems self-evident for us. But we see it in Christ. We see it throughout the Jewish practice before Christ, and then we see it echoed in the rest of the New Testament that they will actually be people, there will be people that God has specifically designed and gifted and filled with the Holy Spirit such that they actually are called to teach and to help people understand the Word in a deeper way. So we talk a lot about how we believe in the authority of the Word of God. 
We talk a lot about how we believe that the scriptures are the foundation for our faith. So if if the scriptures are God-breathed, if they're God's word to us, and we read those words verbatim to the congregation, why do you think that that clarity is needed? I think without that clarity, a lot of times people won't grasp everything. They'll grasp some of it, but the reality is the Bible is shallow enough that everyone can swim in it, but it's so deep that everyone will drown in it. And the reality is that some people have the ability to tread water a little bit differently than others and tread water longer. And so they have this innate gift to really clarify it and and bring it to the surface. And so that's the benefit, the benefit to all. And this happens all the time. I mean, we experience it a lot here is that someone will come up to me and say, I have heard that passage, you know, X amount of years, my whole life. And now I finally understand it. Or you read this scripture, what does it mean? So it's not always self-evident of, of what the implications are or how they come across, or, or really even probably more significantly is how they are applied. And we see this also with Christ. He would teach a parable, and he would walk away, and the disciples, who should have had some awareness of what was going on, they would say, basically, what is that? What was that? What does that mean? What are the implications of that? And then he would sit down and he would clarify it for them. And so I think that's part of it is just offering different perspectives and different understandings. And that's the beauty of having multiple pastors is that even as I continue to study scripture over and over and over and over again, and and I read the Bible an incredible amount, is that I will still run into the same passage that I've read probably every year my whole life, and it'll still bring new awareness to my life depending on my life experience and things like that. And so really the teacher, what they do is they bring that humanity into it, and they bring the clarity to it, and then people can put it into practice in their life and experience the transformation that God has has offered for us by using the gifts that God has given us and allowing the Holy Spirit to, to use our gifts and abilities that he has given us to permeate hearts. One of the ways that I think about preaching is, well, in, in Psalm 1, we're told about a, a person, the blessed person, is not the person who walks in the way of sinners or sit, sits in the seat of scoffers. The, the blessed person is the one who meditates on the law day and night, who loves the, the instruction of the Lord, um, who loves the scriptures. And so for me, uh, I think that preaching, it's like a public meditation on the scriptures. So when we, when we zero in on one particular passage and we hyper-focus on it, um, essentially what's happening is the pastor is working through that passage uh, in a way that um, draws it into and refuses it to reflect on our lives as humans, uh, the life of the, of the pastor, and also the life of the congregation. And it helps, um, I actually think that it helps the scriptures accomplish what the scriptures are, are doing, which is getting us to, to meet God, to be the word of God, to have be, be God speaking to us. That these scriptures are, you know, some of them are 4,000 years old, some of them are 2,000 years old, um, you know, and everywhere in between there. And so there's super old texts, and it takes a lifetime of thinking and reading and rereading them to understand them. And so I think that the, the public proclamation, the, the sermon, is the way, it's, it's the way that we do that together. It's the way that we read Scripture, that we meditate on it, 
that we reflect on it, that we um, bring it into our lives and let it change us and let it be what it needs to be, which is the Word of God, and let it do its work of teaching, of rebuke, of instruction, of all those things that it, that it can do and should do. And it's, it's, that, it's the pastor, the teacher, being the one who kind of walks the congregation through, that, shepherds the congregation. So let me ask the, 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 the question this way. Um, there are lots of different w- ways that people preach. Um, you know, I think of the whole swath of the Christian experience. There's the kind of Roman Catholic uh, style, which is very short, and usually those are called homilies, so 8 to 15 minutes. Um, you know, the, the Episcopalian church is probably pretty similar to that. And historically, the Lutheran Church has been very similar to that. And then we kind of move on, and as we move into more kind of evangelical world, the sermons seem to get longer and longer and longer. And we have some, you know, churches, Baptist churches, some Methodist churches, some non-denominational churches that pastors will preach for 45, 50 minutes. Um, Some preaching is very dynamic and energetic and loud and... Uh, emotive, and some preaching isn't. So, Pastor Ben, can you kind of walk us through why some of those groups teach the Scripture that way and what we do here at New Life, how we how we teach the Scriptures here? You know, I would assume that a lot of that... I don't know the whole history. I mean, there's there's even sections of the Bible where, where the, an individual preached so long that someone literally fell asleep, fell out a window, and died. So there is, you know, history of long sermons. If you look through Christ's stories, we have no idea if those are all pieced together, especially in the book of Matthew, where it seems like he taught parable after parable after parable, or maybe he just taught one parable and moved on. We don't really know for sure. So it's possible he taught really short, taught really long, and, and we don't really know there's everything in between. But I would say it probably comes down to kind of a cultural fit of, of what churches have done in the past, what their expectations are, and also regionally, uh, where they're from or where they're at. I would say when it comes to like a Southern Baptist tradition, the reality is there is kind of in America an expectation that a service will be about an hour. And when a Southern Southern Baptist tradition, we talked about this, that um, part of that tradition has been a rejection of everything that has been attached to the Catholic Church. So they get rid of the creeds and those kind of traditional things, which leaves wide open the door for time because what happens is then you're doing worship for about 30 minutes and you're preaching for about 30 minutes. I've been in a Southern Baptist church where I was convinced it had been an hour. I mean, in my life, I felt like I had I'd lost large swaths of my life. Uh, but but what happens, I think, in, in those settings, unless you're incredibly... I mean, you have to be so much better... Imagine someone engaging you in conversation where they're talking at you for an hour. They have to be incredibly skilled. And so in that setting, what had happened is the guy just kept repeating himself and repeating himself and repeating himself. And I, in my mind, I had given up hope that I was ever going to escape. Uh, but I think, unfortunately, what happens on the other spectrum is this kind of idea of we have so much stuff in the service and we only have so much time. And so what's the thing that we can sacrifice? Well, unfortunately, 
too often people are willing to sacrifice the sermon time. And so you get a homily that's like five minutes long. And it was probably pre-written or pre-prescribed by somebody. So it's not even really internalized by the the priest or the pastor. And they throw it out there and they move on and they get on to the next next thing that they have, which is probably the creed at that point in time. So I think somewhere in there, what we have to do is we have to find that healthy balance of, okay, what is our culture going to offer and what are we going to value? And and I tend to value the sermon, but I'm only going to value the sermon as long as it connects with my culture. So I need to know how long they actually can listen for and how long they're, they're, they can tune in to really get the value because I don't want to waste my breath. I don't want to repeat myself. I want to get someone from point A to point B, have it internalized and have it be transformative in their life. And then I want them to remember it and go home. And so here at New Life, I think traditionally we've had shorter sermons. We're actually trying to expand them. But, but really what we've done or what we've kind of thought through is there is a common cultural thing that's permeating our world, and it's television. I mean, television has evolved so much since I've been alive. There used to be, when I was first born, there was like three networks, three channels. And it's expanded, 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 expanded. But we still kind of live in this realm where we expect a sitcom, we expect a TV show to be about 30 minutes. Now, once you strip out the commercials, you're looking at about 21 minutes, 22 minutes. And so uh, with that being said, here at New Life, we shoot for 20 minutes. Sometimes it gets up to 25, but we try to stay in that window because we want people to internalize it, understand it. We're not going to repeat ourselves. We're going to get them from point A to point B and have it be transformative for them, and we want them to want more. So we don't want to drag on so they're hoping to find the door. They want to walk out. I want to get them just to the edge of, they're like, we really like this, we're really getting it, we we figured it out, and then leave them want just a little bit more. And so we feel it's like about 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, depending on the Sunday, depending on what's going on or how the Spirit is leading. We do want to leave room for that. Uh, but I, th- I would say say in our current context, we've worked very, very hard to create space for that. But I would say most churches, it's built on built on some sort of cultural thing, historical thing, regional thing, or how much space they have to fill on a Sunday morning. The most popular form of lecture right now is the TED Talk. That is, people devour TED Talks, and they're always about 12 to 20 minutes long. Um, and so that's that's the format that people are used to. And, and really, historically, um, you know, like, you know, we talked about that there are some, we do know of some sermons that are incredibly long. Um, but for the most part, the church has understood that the pastor doesn't have to do the heavy lifting. It's the word of God that does the heavy lifting. Um, the pastor or, or the teacher um, is just the one who who does connecting. It connects the dots for people. Um, maybe does a little bit of, of kind of straight teaching, which is the distinction I want to talk about here in a second. Um, does some teaching explaining, hey, this is what was going on. This is the context. Here's what's happening in this passage. Here's the big idea. This is what this is about. This is what Jesus, this is how people would have understood Jesus then. And this is what it means for us now. This is what evokes this kind of reaction in us now. 
is if Jesus would have said this to us, and then we restate it the way that Jesus would have, um, you know, if he were in 2019. Um, so I think that there's that, that it's almost bite-sized, um, but that kind of TED Talk style um, is, is historically informed, um, and it also uh, allows, allows the, the Scripture to do, to do the heavy lifting. But Pastor Ben, I did want to get your opinion. Um, for, to me, I think there's a difference between a lecture and a sermon. Those are two different things. Um, so the church, we are a group of people who get together, and we sing some songs, and then we open up a, an ancient book, a very, very old collection of books and poems and stories, and then we hear somebody talk about them for 20 minutes or so. And that's pretty unique in the world. There aren't really even very many other religions that do that. Um, but talk to me, what is the difference um, between a lecture and a sermon? How are those things different? For me, I would say very. it's very possible that where you've gone to church during your life, that you thought you were getting a sermon, but you got a lecture. And uh, and the difference would be, and this is maybe, once I say it, you'll, you'll hear it, is that I, I believe a lecture is just simply information transfer. I have information, I give you information, now you have information. And that's really like a, think of like your algebra teacher in high school. I mean, they're just trying to hand information to you, or your history teacher, they're taking information about the Cold War, and they're handing it on to you. I would say the difference is when a sermon is when I actually am up there trying to evoke change, trying to evoke transformation, which means when I read when I read the Word, just like Pastor Eric just said, when I read the Word, I ask two questions. I'm asking right away, what was Jesus trying to say, or what was this writer trying to say, or what was God trying to say in this moment to the people? And then from that truth, I ask the same question. What would God be saying to our people today in our modern context through this Word? And then that starts building the the major idea. Sometimes in, when I send it out to the the team, I'll say, "This is the takeaway. Right? This is what we were supposed to get out of it." And then once I work uh, once I work through that, then that's the beginning formulation of a sermon because I'm actually trying to bring change into someone's life. I'm not just handing them information. If I was just handing them information, I would say, "This is a historical document." And uh, Peter went from here to here to here to here. This is the kind of boat he had uh, before he became a disciple of Christ, and this is how much money he made, and stuff like that. And then I just walk away. But what I'm trying to do is take Peter's life, Christ's words, the writings of Paul, whatever it might be, and say, okay, this is what he was trying to do. This is the, the change he was trying to evoke in that day. And so because of that, we see his intent... Now, if he came out of the, the pages of the Bible, if Christ came out of the pages of the Bible and they were speaking to us, what would they say to me? What would they say to our church? And in the end, we expect transformation, because that's what we're told in Scripture, that we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's not an intellectual transfer of knowledge, it's an actual change that happens in our being when we begin to think differently, right? When we hear different ideas, when we apply different ideas, we act differently, think differently, and we experience transformation. And so I would say it's very possible that you've been in a church where someone came out of a seminary, and he was taught to give a sermon to his professor. And 
and maybe that pastor has said, hey, this is this is the original Greek, this is the original Hebrew, and this is this and this and this. It sounds very smart, and he's transferred information from himself to you, but it never caused a life change. And I believe that, unfortunately, this is a lot of the reason that people have disconnected from church. Because all you're getting is information transfer, especially in the modern day. You don't need a pastor for that, because that's not a sermon. If all you're looking for information transfer, you have literally an encyclopedia, a dictionary. You have everything in your pocket on your phone. You have the internet everywhere and anywhere, and all you have to do is Google it. So at this point in time, especially, it's even more important that as pastors, we teach sermons and we don't give lectures, that we're actually going to help you with the information, understand the information, which, of course, you could do yourself. You could research it yourself. But the point of even that understanding is to point you towards the change that that Christ is hoping will bring life and joy into every every corner of your being. Timothy Keller, the um, prolific pastor and teacher, uh, retired retired pastor of Redeemer City Church, I think, in New York. He he tells a story where he's a young pastor, and every Sunday, him and his wife would be driving home from church, and he would say, "How do you?" how do you think the sermon went? And his wife would say, well, that was a really nice Bible study until you got to Jesus. And then you started preaching. Um, and so for me, that's, I, I think about that often is that I think that you're right, Ben, that there are lots of leaders out there, lots of teachers, lots of pastors who really just take this time of preaching and really all they're doing is a Bible study. And we, we as uh, the, the, the Lutheran tradition, the way that we talk about the word, um, both the written word and the the sermon, is that it is it is a means of grace. It's a and it's a way that God gives us His Holy Spirit. So actually, when we hear the word read out loud, when we read it, um, and when we hear a sermon, that's actually God giving His Holy Spirit to us. So when I'm sitting down and I'm and I'm listening to Pastor Ben preach, God is interacting with me, and he's actually giving me the grace of his Holy Spirit at that time. So when I, when I sit down to prepare a sermon, um, that, is, that is my goal, is, okay, how can I help people meet God through this? How, and that's my prayer as I, as I write a sermon, um, is that this is a means of grace for people, that people receive the Holy Spirit through this, through this work. So for me, it's all about getting to Jesus, to the promises of God, and to the life of God, and help people live life with God, and live God's life uh, with Him through the sermon. So I think that there's, I think that's, I think you're right on, Ben, that that's the difference, is that a lecture is this, it's a teaching tool, it's an information transfer, um, but really when we're preaching, we're getting people to meet Jesus, we're, we're getting them to interact with God um, through, through the, the Word. Yeah, so for um, especially our listeners who go here, I think it's um, helpful just for people to know what goes through our minds as we lead them and as we shepherd them, as we pastor them. Um, so, Pastor Ben, why don't you just kind of walk us through your process and what are some of the things that you, when you are praying through a sermon, preparing a sermon, and delivering a sermon, what are some of the things that you're trying to do 
Um, it could be it could be stylistically, it could be theologically. What are you trying to do? What do you make sure is in that sermon whenever you you go to preach? Well, every once in a while, I have somebody ask me this question, and it's more f- frequently than you'd think. They'll say, "How long does it take you to prepare that sermon?" Now, I could take that either way. It, that could be either a really horrible question or a really good question. I tend to, for my own well-being, assume they're asking in the best possible light that they're thinking, that was so good, it must take you a long, long time, and not, that was so horrible, did you take five minutes to produce that? But uh, the truth is, and, and Pastor Eric is the same, so we're on the same, we're looking at eight to ten hours uh, of study and prep, internalization, and really practice to make sure it's smooth so that we can best communicate God's Word, eight to ten hours to do that. And so we already started off by saying, as we enter into Scripture, the two questions we're asking is, what was God saying to these people? What is He saying to us? Right. That, that gets our takeaway. That gets us uh, where we're going to go. And then we start working through all of the facts and figures, because those things are important, and those things are helpful. They just aren't the point. They're, they're only meant to guide us to the takeaway, right? So if we if we see something about someone's life that humanizes them and really helps them become directly correlated to our lives, that's helpful. So we'll bring those things up. But just to uh, spew facts for facts is really a waste of time. But in order to do that, we need to actually know all the facts. So we do a, b- a bunch of research, look through a, a bunch of commentaries. Uh, sometimes it even goes back to the original languages, to, to look at those things, and so we have a, a running background of it. Uh, another thing I like to do is I like to always keep it in context, which means what I'm doing is, let's say I'm teaching out of Luke like I am this Sunday, I'm going to read the book of Luke, because I, I want to hear the full story, at least all the stories around this story, to understand the the emotions and the context and what was happening and, and how tired was everyone at this time, or or maybe what emotional high were they on? So I can I always go back and I I check the the historicity of it. I'm checking the context of it, all based off of the initial question, which is what was said to them, what's said what's said to us today, and then I'm working through that. Uh, but when I'm looking at the end piece, the transformational piece, the the takeaway piece, this is what I want people to go home with. I do ask one question. Eric just hit on it is where's the gospel? And I read a really good book when I, back long, 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 long time ago when I did youth ministry, and I was kind of ready to give up. The youth ministry was, was flourishing, but I wasn't really feeling fulfilled. I just felt like I was entertaining kids, and that was going well. But So I, I read this book, and I, I don't remember exactly the title. It was something like How to Get Fired from Youth Ministry or something, some, you know, really provocative title. And what I read in there was this this guy, his his main contingent his uh his main point was basically you have to talk about Jesus and his resurrection every time you talk or you haven't spoken. And I took that to heart. And so every time I do a sermon, I have to find a way to get it back to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. And so you'll catch that now. If you're paying attention, you go to a new life, you know, you'll you'll see that. Oh, he's always going to tie it back to Christ, because it always should tie it back to Christ. Because the Old Testament points towards Christ. The Gospels 
are eyewitnesses of Christ, and the rest of the New Testament is written because of Christ, and it's talking about Christ. And so it's not that hard to do, it's just easy to forget, because it's not a specific piece of every story, it is just the story. And so everything that's written is about Jesus. So that's that's one question I ask. The other thing that I always have to remember is that just like the crowd in Jesus' day, there was rich, there was poor, there was people of all nationalities, there was male, there was female, there was young, there was old, there was everyone. There was believers, non-believers, people on the fence. In the same way, during a sermon, we have to think the same way. I have no idea who's going to walk in. I have no idea who's there. I have no idea their spiritual condition. I know none of that, which means when I preach a sermon, I'm preaching it to every one of those types of people. And so this is a a work in progress, but I'm really, really, really trying to distinguish between even the eternal truth that works for everybody and the eternal truth that's meant maybe just for believers or at least commanded to believers, but for those outside of Christ, it's obviously not commanded because they don't serve Christ as Lord, and so they've kind of removed themselves from that. And so we try to distinguish that, and I try to distinguish that when I'm I'm teaching a group that I understand, hey, this is eternal truth through Christ or through people who knew Christ or people influenced by Christ, and so I take that truth and I apply it, and then I ask these questions, was the cross mentioned? Uh, would this make sense to a non-believer? Would this be significant for a person on the fence? I mean, does it sway them towards Christianity or away? And then for the Christian, is it clear of what Christ is offering in this space? Because as Lutherans, um, we talk a lot about law and gospel, and if you've been around Lutheran Church long enough, you might have actually had a pastor literally do his sermon like this. This is the law, this is the gospel, this is the law, and this is the gospel. And some Lutheran pastors take great pride in in force-feeding the law and gospel into every passage of Scripture, even when it's not there. And so they kind of play these intellectual games. I think this is the law, and this is the gospel. And what we're talking about there is the law uh, points us to the reality that we are broken and sinful, and we can't do it ourselves. The gospel is, despite that, Jesus loves you, he's going to take care of it through a real relationship with you, through faith with him, that he can wipe that out and destroy the law. Uh, the the other thing that I like to talk a lot of time about, if it's if it's what is there, is also the beauty of the law. You see, as believers, we can actually look at the law as a salve for our lives, as as a medication for our lives. That there's love in the law, that we know we can't fulfill it. However if we live in line with Christ's teaching, if we live in line with the law that he has given us, this eternal truth, that it will offer us something. This is a gift. And so our salvation is a gift, but then the law is gifted back to us as a gift with the understanding that it is not meant for us to use as a tool to earn our way, but as a a gift to better our lives, better our families, better our marriages, better everything in life. And so that's a gift in the in the temporal, as we wait for the eternal, where everything is fixed through Christ. And so in those regards, I'm asking those questions, I'm thinking through those things, I'm wrestling through those things. Hey, if someone who's a non-believer comes in here, what truth goes to them? 
um, how do I help them move forward in their faith journey? How do I take them, help them make one step closer to maybe a real relationship with Christ? For those on the fence, how do I make sure that they don't fall backwards off the fence, but they actually fall into Christ's arms? And for the believers, how do I communicate to them a truth that they've heard their whole life in a, in a fresh way that maybe they can understand that they've been missing out on the beauty of Christ's promises all along and not utilizing it? And so I think those those couple things of always keeping the gospel front and center and then understanding the audience are crucial and, and very challenging to make sure that our sermons lead us to where we want to go, which is to the cross and, and through the transformation that it offers. You mentioned a little bit the law and the gospel, which for those who are listening who are not uh, Lutheran um, or don't know, that traditionally the Lutheran church has understood that, that God speaks two primary ways in Scripture, and that's through the law and through the gospel. The law kills, the gospel gives life. Um, the law convicts, the gospel frees. Um, the law makes us guilty, but the gospel makes us innocent. Um, and traditionally, anytime there's a command in Scripture, that's been labeled as law. And anytime there's a promise in Scripture, that's been labeled as gospel. Ben and I, come, we have come to the Lutheran tradition been convinced of, of the Lutheran way of thinking about the world. Um, so you and I don't have the that baggage of this kind of exclusive law and gospel reading, which I'm not even sure the confessions lead us to think of all Scripture like that. But that's just been traditionally how Lutherans have talked about the law, or talked about Scripture. And, and like Pastor Ben mentioned, that there are some... Some pastors that have said, well, if I, as long as I preach law and gospel, even if I'm a bad public speaker, even if I don't do good biblical interpretation, even if I don't um, connect it with people's lives, then I've, then I've accomplished my job, which, which Pastor Ben and I would not think that, we think that would not be good preaching. That is not actually doing what, what the pastor is supposed to do when we preach. Um, and so I think that Pastor Ben... Um, Really, what, what him and I tried to do is a, uh, it's almost like a creative law and gospel. It's almost like, okay, if this is a framework for thinking about things, how, you know, how can we l- think through this, think through this scripture in a way that we see, hey, here's the diagnosis of the problem, and how does Jesus meet that need? So, you know, I don't talk about every command being law because I think sometimes commands are promises. I think sometimes when we're commanded to do something, God expects us to do it, and He empowers us to do it. Um, that we are, if we are free to love and empowered to love, and if we're told to love, that doesn't mean we're not condemned. That's actually a promise that we can love God and love our neighbors because we are, we are brought back to life through the Holy Spirit. That we are um, given the Holy Spirit to empower us and do those sorts of things. Um, so what what I, Pastor Ben, you and I kind of take a similar approach. Um, Obviously, our styles are a little bit different just because we're two different people and we you know, have different emphasis and different interests and those sorts of things, different influences. Um, but we, we essentially say, okay, where, what is it about humans that what, what do we see in this scripture, whatever it is that we're looking at, 
what's the human element here? What's the problem that's trying to be met? Or what's the problem that's being revealed about people, about humanity? Um, so that can be a misunderstanding um, from one of the disciples. It can be um, bad, you know, sin, active sin in people's lives from an Old Testament story. It can be uh, when Paul's writing his letters, he can be pointing out, hey, this is what's going on in your in your city, whatever city the letter is written to. Um, what's the human element, and what is the eternal human element that has caused us to do this? What's the underlying issue that we're having? And then I'm glad on Sunday um, that you brought up the the Doctor Phil question. How's that working for you? Because I I love that, um, and I've 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 used that before. How is that working for you? Um, and we can honestly say it doesn't it doesn't work well. Um, and so then we say, okay, how then does Jesus do this correctly? And how does he empower us to live um, in, in a new humanity, in a new way that actually uh, allows us to be transformed and allows us to live without this unhealthiness and into healthiness and into a kingdom life? And that's the promise that God gives us. That's the gospel, is that we are a new people in Jesus. We've been, we are baptized. We have been given the Holy Spirit. We are the body of Christ. That's the promise. And we've been empowered um, and we have been transformed. And now we are free to live in that transformation. We are finally free to actually love well. We are free to do those things. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it is the law and the gospel, but it's not so, um, it's not so crappy. <laughs> it's not not it's not so rigid. Um, and so we try to we try to diagnose um, the human the human condition, and then we try to always point to Jesus, which is ultimately you know what we talked about. That's what makes it a sermon. And um, it's easy to, it's easy to preach law. It's easy to say, hey, this is what you're doing wrong, and this is what you should do. Um, but it's much more difficult to point people to Jesus and say, I don't have the, I don't have the answers, but Jesus does. Um, and he, he wants to give you the answers. He wants to empower you. Um, but I think that's the, that's the joy of preaching, and that's the, that's the power that we can receive when we hear um, and we live in obedience to a sermon that's preached to us. One of the things that you mentioned was really good is thinking about the human experience. And I think sometimes we, we forget that these people that we're reading about the people who are taught these teachings by Jesus, they're real people with real problems, with real addictions, with real emotional baggage, and all this stuff that's going on in their lives. And so as I would say, especially the past two weeks, I've gotten so much of this statement. Are you preaching to me? D- did I tell you something that triggered this? You know, people are just like, like I have time to actually think through everyone's life and do that. But the truth is, it feels that way because it felt that way for these guys. Because it's just humanity. It's about being human. We all feel this way. We all have these struggles. We might not verbalize them, but when Jesus makes these comments that cut to the, the core of our humanity, it's going to feel like he's talking right to us if we're open enough to actually listen. And I think that's what happened in the last two weeks for sure, is that people... It's Jesus and his teaching or in these experiences, it's been so human that I think probably everyone leaves that room. I know I leave that room thinking, was that for me? Was that specifically for me? And the truth is, it's just the humanity. It's getting that humanity in there and saying, okay, 
these are the people, this is the, what they're going through. This is how you're probably hearing it right now. This is the tension that, that you're feeling. And uh, just getting that humanity part of it. Another thing that Eric talked about, I think is really significant. And, and like he said, we're not from the Lutheran tradition. And so some of those things that have been ingrained in maybe in others, we are aware of them, uh, but we aren't captive to them. And one of my professors, he, he said, well, you can call it the second use of the law, or you can call it the second use of the gospel. He, he was really indifferent, but it's that transformational element of the law at a starting point of it's meant to show you you can't live up to it, which means you need a Savior. That's Jesus. But once you have Jesus, you can't go back. You don't go back. You don't say, I have Jesus, and now I have to keep the law, and if I don't keep the law, Jesus will be mad at me. And that was honestly, I don't know if it's my upbringing as much as how I internalized my upbringing. That was always my concern. I know I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. I have eternity. However, if I don't follow all these stringent laws, am I going to get booted? For me, it was just like, I have Jesus, but now I have to keep the law. If I don't keep the law, I must not have Jesus. And that was always a concern of mine. But so when I stepped into really for quite a while in my life is, is searching through new understandings, searching through the Bible, and then ultimately reading through the, the Lutheran confessions, as I began to see that it was grace through and through and through, which means the law points me to the reality that, hey, I've broken one of the commandments, I've broken one of these rules, I am not perfect. And to be connected with a perfect God and be ending up in a perfect place, I need an ambassador, right? I need somebody who's going to walk me and vouch for me, and that's Christ. But after that happens, once I'm in a relationship with Christ, then I look back at the law and I see it as a gift, not a way that I can keep my status in Christ, but a way that I can live my life better as a transformed being through Christ and just look at the commandments. You know, we have these these things like, do not do this, do not steal, do not do this. Well, I'm, I know for sure as a little kid I stole something. I'm sure I stole candy out of the candy store. I just don't really remember it. I sort of remember it. I just pretend I don't remember it. But, uh, you know, later on in life, you know, that points me to the fact that I am not perfect. I need Jesus. But now that I have Jesus, I don't steal. And what does that offer me? One, I'm trustworthy because I do not steal. I don't go to jail because now I'm over 18 and I would go to jail. I mean, there's just a myriad of wins that if you you fall in line with Christ's teaching and Christ's way, that you are blessed, not, not just your eternal blessing of being in Christ, but also the temporary blessing of how people perceive you, how you live your life, how you live out your marriage and your vocation, and how you raise your kids. I mean, I mean, these are gifts from God. And so we love to take those things and reorient them to a believer so that they understand that these are useful. These are useful and, and helpful and beautiful. And thank you, Lord, that you can fix the train wreck of my marriage. Thank you, Lord, that you can help me escape this addiction. Thank you, thank you, Lord, that I can raise my kids better than maybe my parents raised me. Whatever that is, thank you, Lord, that you have given me these healthy patterns, eternal principles, eternal truths to live life. And if it's just law and gospel, 
and we don't get to that second use of the long gospel, man, we're missing out. We're missing out on so much beauty. And, and I believe the, the joy and, and happiness and abundance that Christ and the Bible teach us that we have available to us. Yeah, I really like that. And I like how uh, in the catechism, in the small catechism, as it teaches the, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, it always gives an inverse to the commandment. I'm not going to be able to repeat it correctly, but for example, for the command you shall not steal, it asks the question, what does this mean? And it says, love, fear, and trust in God in all things, and not take from our neighbor, but instead help our neighbor keep and increase what they have. So there's always this like inverse, which is exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's moving from, no longer am I just condemned. Do not steal. Okay, well, I've stolen. I know I have. So I'm a sinner. But now it's, oh, I'm free. Not only do I not need to steal anymore, but now I am free to help people actually increase what they have. It's, it's always, it becomes an outward thing. I am free to not be consumed with greed I'm free to not have to worry about what I have, and I can help people. I'm free to help my neighbor gain more and get more and work so that my neighbor lives better and that my neighbor can have more because I love them. Like, I'm free to love now. I'm free to do those things. And that's the, that's, and so we're not enslaved to ourselves or to our desires anymore, but now we are in fact, let loose to help others flourish as well. And we get, uh, we get blessings from that. If we, if we treat people, you're exactly right. Like, there's no guarantee that Christians are going to you know, have money or be wealthy. That's, we don't believe in a prosperity gospel. But there's just the fact of life that generally, if you help others, eventually you're going to get helped too. If you treat others well in your business and you're generous with your business people are going to want to do business with you. And that's actually going to help your business grow. And it's not a formula. It's not a guarantee. Um, but there's just a general rule of life that if we love others, that's going to somehow be reciprocated to us. Um, relationally, it's going to be reciprocated to us um, even uh, phys- you know, physically, financially, all those sorts of things. Um, but ultimately, and most importantly, um, it, it helps us live rightly with God. That I... I am freed from guilt, and I can live in the grace of God, so now I am free to love my neighbor because I love God, and I know that God loves me no matter what. And when we can get to that point, I think that's really that's really the transformation. That's the new humanity. That's the new person um, that, that we can experience and that we can cultivate through um, the preaching of the Word is, is diagnosing the human condition giving people the promises and then releasing them to be free, uh, free to love God and to love their neighbor. Phoenix, 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 Phoenix.